Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Great opportunity for us to bring our broadcast partners to the table so that we can have a conversation with them, getting the details and all the information actually behind the news headlines across the world. We're going to do that with our broadcast partners, especially when we talk with Winky Madad. He'll be telling us about how the decision was made by Prime Minister Netanyahu to go ahead and put an agreement together with the United Arab Emirates. And the fact is that they have put together another peace treaty for the Jewish state and one of the Arab nations. That's going to be an important conversation. So keep the dial set. That will be in the second half hour of our three half-hour segments on Prophecy Today weekend. Well, we're going to Ken Timmerman. And he's all excited about this last Tuesday when his publisher put forth the book. They released his book that is a novel. It's The Election Heist. That's the title of it. And Ken, man, that's great. We've been promoting it for pre-sale, but now it's out. And that's great news. I consider this book as body armor, Jimmy, for people who need to understand what's going on in this country and to prepare themselves for the onslaught of violence and election fraud that is inevitably going to take place in November. What a timely book for a timely period in history for these upcoming elections, the presidential elections. Well, let's get to the issues, Ken, that uh, you can develop for us and help us to understand what they may mean on the world scene today. For example, there's word coming out of China, Beijing, that the military experts are urging the leadership of China to prepare for war with the United States. Is this simply a preliminary hype, or is it really that close? Well, I don't know whether it's that close, but what I can tell you for sure is that you have now a increasingly large cadre of officers in the People's Liberation Army who are writing... Uh, articles on strategy. This is something that they do with strategic intent. In other words, when they write in their military journals about war with the United States, what they are really doing is giving us an inside glimpse to the thinking of the People's Liberation Army. Uh, and they debate these ideas. People think that in China there's no debate. There's plenty of debate inside the People's Liberation Army. You have different strategists saying, well, we should do this or we should do that or the United States is doing this. Now what they are doing is they are saying that the United States is preparing for war against China, and we must therefore prepare for war with the United States actively. And they are concerned because the United States has once again started to fly B-1 bombers uh, to the island of Guam. So just this past week, the Chinese had a live firing exercise over a huge portion of the South China Sea off of China's coast, basically as a warning to the United States, which had just conducted an exercise with the carrier, Ronald Reagan, and a couple of warships from Japan. So, yes, things are heating up, and now you have these theorists of the People's Liberation Army publicly debating exactly how they will defeat the United States, because that's one thing that they all agree on, that their goal has to be to defeat the United States. 
Well, at the same time, quite interesting, there's word coming out of Beijing that China has big plans for the Middle East. Can you expand on that? Yes, you and I have been talking about this for a couple of weeks, and it's just beginning to get some traction in larger media organizations. Uh, The Chinese, in addition to signing this $400 billion strategic pact with the Islamic State of Iran, they have also signed recently a $100 billion deal with Saudi Arabia. And it appears that part of that deal involves giving the Saudis, and this is really interesting, it shows you just how hypocritical the Chinese are, or how mercantile they are, if you prefer it, but it involves giving the Saudis nuclear technology that could allow them, essentially, to acquire fissile material for a nuclear bomb. Now, that's pretty amazing when you think about it. The Chinese have helped Iran to get those nuclear capabilities, and now they're helping Iran's biggest enemy in the region, Saudi Arabia. So China has big plans in the Middle East. They're also operative uh, commercially and with investments in Israel. And this is something that has got the Pentagon very worried here in this country because they're afraid that the Chinese will gain access to cutting-edge technology being developed in Israel by its absolutely amazing high-technology community. Uh, And they have been in a dialogue with the Israeli government over this, specifically over Chinese investment in Israeli high-tech companies. A couple of weeks back, Ken, we talked about the border conflict between China and India. In fact, you reported that it was so primitive they were using stones, throwing them at each other. And that was quite interesting to find out. But however, among the Russians, the Iranians, and North Korea, they are trying to exploit the China-Indian border conflict, fears of World War III. What do you know about that? Well, one of our country's prominent experts on China, Gordon Chang, who you see sometimes on Fox News and other places, has been warning that the Chinese could take advantage of what they see as a distracted U.S. administration in these months leading up to the election in November and could be making trouble basically wherever possible, whether it's with India, whether it's in the Middle East, whether it's in the South China Sea, and at the same time, Russia, North Korea, uh, and Iran could do the same thing. So this is kind of the scenarios where you have all of these rogue states exploiting what they believe is a distracted United States to snatch and grab. A little bit, think of it this way, Jimmy. Think of it like those pictures that we've been watching, these videos of the looters in Chicago who smash and grab stuff out of uh, uh, high-end stores on the Magnificent Mile in Chicago. Well, that's a bit like the vandals in Iran and North Korea and in Russia and China who will snatch and grab strategic prizes from their neighbors. Russia wants Ukraine. The Iranians are ever trying to expand their reach into the Middle East. You know, the Chinese want the South China Sea, etc. So that's what Gordon Chang is is worried about uh, and that this is going to be a very uh, complicated, dangerous three-month period leading up to the U.S. elections. In my conversations today with Ken Timmerman, we're catching up on some of the news we've already reported. For example, the unbelievable catastrophic bombing there in the port of Beirut, Lebanon. 
it's now understood that Hezbollah was actually tapping into that ammonium nitrate there in that warehouse. And this seems to be a part of the ongoing investigation as to what did happen. Can you update us on that? Yeah, so now we're learning with more detail that the 2,750 tons of ammonium nitrate, which is an explosive in itself, okay, it's what you can use to make rocket fuel. It was very high grade. That was part of a larger shipment, almost twice as large, uh, and the rest of it has disappeared. It was impounded there in Beirut from a cargo ship owned by a Russian magnate or mobster, or however you want to call him, uh, and he basically abandoned or said he abandoned the shipment. It looks like the shipment was really aimed, it was intended for Hezbollah. And the best guess that people have now is that that other 3,000 tons has been used by Hezbollah to make rockets and bombs that they've been hurling against Israel or sending into Syria. So uh, this is part of that investigation. General Aoun, the president of Lebanon, who is allied with Hezbollah, is trying his best to block any international investigation, and now you can understand why. He does not want investigators to determine that Hezbollah has been active there all along with this explosive uh, depot. And the truth ultimately will be known. Well, one final thought I want to bring to your attention, Ken, is we've been covering the civil war there in Libya, but now there's a report out that Islamic State is going to be able to bounce back if Libyan civil war doesn't come to an end. Uh, that's a pretty important understanding of what's going on, is it not? It is, but this is a longer-term warning. Right now, the Islamic State operatives are kind of holed up down in the southern desert of Libya. They were forced out by General Haftar. Remember, he's the anti-Islamist leader and American citizen in Benghazi, although the United States does not support him. But he really pushed the Islamic State out of the area along the coastline, the Mediterranean coastline, and now they are operating in the southern Libyan desert. And uh, it's not so easy for them to operate there because they don't really integrate very well with the local population. These are terrorists who've come from Syria, they've come from Iraq, they've come from Saudi Arabia or Yemen, uh, and they don't fit in with the predominantly black and nomad uh, populations in the southern Libyan desert. So this will take some time, but they are trying to create a stronghold there in Libya. And the longer Libya remains in chaos, which, let's remember, it's in chaos because of Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama uh, overthrowing uh, Gaddafi for no strategic reason uh, at all. As long as Libya remains in chaos, ISIS is going to use that area, that ungoverned area in the southern Libyan wasteland, the desert there, to grow their groups. But it will take some time. Very important conversation each week that we have with Ken Timmerman. He looks at geopolitical activities across the world, helps us with the insight he can give us. By the way, congratulations, Ken, on the publication of your book, The Election Heist. Folks, let me exhort you, get a copy of it. So key for the time in history where we find ourselves today. Thank you, Ken. Appreciate the time and giving us the insight that you always do. We'll have another conversation next week. Always a pleasure, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, David Dolan has a Middle East news update. That's all ahead right here 
on Prophecy Today. I want to remind you that I do have a website. It's prophecytoday.com. This is a full-service website. It will assist you in your study of Bible prophecy. For example, I have a prophecy bookstore with a number of materials that will help you as you study through the prophetic passages of God's Word. I have a number of books, DVD documentaries, and five-hour audio series on the subject of Bible prophecy. I have a prophecy Q&A section, and then I list the top 10 news stories on a daily basis. These are news stories that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And I will give you a prophetic perspective on those news stories. That website that you should bookmark is prophecytoday.com. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy D. Young here at Broadcast Central. So glad to have you and all of our broadcast partners from around the world with information behind the headlines in the news, so key especially to students of Bible prophecy to understand these reports and have them available for you as we watch the prophetic scenario unfolding in our world today. Well, we go to David Dolan, as promised, for our Middle East news update. David, the big headline out of Israel this week has to be the agreement, the normalization agreement, which may well lead to a official peace treaty, I do believe as well, between Israel and the United Arab Emirates. First of all, the Emirates is... Uh, putting together a group of kingdoms, seven of them out there, united under the Arab Emirates, as they are called. Quite interesting development, uh, but indeed the Palestinians, they're very much concerned about it. Let me get to that. We'll talk with Winky Madad about the agreement itself, but the Palestinians, they're treating Christians and Jews as their enemies and I say that to say that the UAE has built a synagogue and a church, and they think, I believe the Palestinians believe, that a peacemaker making peace with Israel is a traitor, and they deserve to be destroyed. Talk to me about briefly the agreement, but also the Palestinian threat there. Well, Jimmy, Prime Minister Netanyahu pointed out that Israel and the UAE are the two most advanced societies in the whole region. 
They have scientific breakthroughs. They have industries. Crown Prince Mohammed bin Zayed has been very careful over the past few decades to move away from oil. They have the fifth or sixth largest reserves in the world, but to move away from that into tourism in particular, one of the best airlines on earth, etc. So they have a lot in common, and that was pointed out by Netanyahu. But of course, um, as part of the deal, he had to agree to postpone annexation that we've been talking about for many months, Uh, indefinitely. And uh, the UAE and other of their allies, Bahrain and Qatar, that support it, Jordan lightly supporting it, uh, President Sisi of uh, Egypt supporting it, but all saying this has stopped the Israeli annexation and therefore the Israeli aggression and is a great help, therefore, to the Palestinians. Well, the Palestinians don't see, and their allies don't see it that way. And it was Hanan Ashrawi, the woman that got me fired from CBS in the year 2000. I won't go into that now, but she made the main comment for them. She said we were completely blindsided. The secret dealings have been going on. They're now in the open. It's a complete sellout. I'm quoting her. So they totally reject it and think that this will further delay any final Palestinian-Israeli treaty or a state appearing. Uh, But that's a high price that Netanyahu had to pay, Jimmy. And I can tell you, the settler leaders uh, yesterday roundly condemned this deal. They're not uh, liking it at all, and it gives another problem for Netanyahu, as the government may be going to elections, as we've talked about. He may just, some of those people may just stay home, or more likely they'll vote for more hardline parties that are against him. So this creates some political problems for him. But, of course, it's a great breakthrough for the country as a whole. It's been 26 years now since the last treaty with Jordan, nearly 40 years with uh, Egypt. And, of course, the PLO itself signed a peace treaty with Israel in 1993, the Oslo Accords. So uh, they can't really complain that others are talking to Israel when they've already done it, even if they basically toss those accords out in uh, the year 2000. Seems like Prime Minister Netanyahu involved in a lot of foreign policy as it relates to his position there in the Israeli government, reaching out to Greece. Now, Greece, meanwhile, is in a maritime standoff in the Mediterranean with Turkey. But it looks like Israel has moved to take sides with Greece. Uh, This, of course, is going to enhance the tensions between Israel and Turkey, will it not, David? It will. Uh, Turkey's leader, Erdogan, condemned the accord with the UAE and threatened to shut down the embassy there and that sort of thing. So very hostile to Israel. Greece, interestingly enough, Jimmy, I think you know that I used to go there most summers. A close friend of mine in Jerusalem had a summer place on an island there, and I would go for a few weeks. And it was uh, hostile towards Israel in the, in the 90s. The government was a very left-wing, very hostile. But over the years, the relations have warmed considerably, considerably, now to the point where they really are allies and Cyprus as well, the Greek part of Cyprus as well, Turkey controls the other half. They're in deals over the natural gas pipeline and all these sorts of things. So Greece has become an important ally, but yes, the tensions between them and Turkey are still very, very strong, and we always have rumors of conflict uh, between them, and that will probably continue. David, there's an interesting report that has come out says that Israel actually dominates the battlefield there in the Middle East. But they do that with American weapons, which Israel 
has made better since they've been able to purchase them from the United States. That's pretty interesting news because Israel takes a weapon that seems to be pretty good and makes it excellent when they get a hold of it. Well, they did that with the F-15 even, Jimmy. A tremendous jet on its own, no doubt about it. Tremendous warplane. But they had some unique things they needed because of their enemies and because of the region and the layout of it, etc. So they introduced some more avionics and some other things that greatly advanced it. And, of course, the aerial missile system, jointly funded with the U.S., is now being purchased by the U.S. and used in different places. Israel took it, the basic design, and improved it. So they've done that with quite a few other weapon systems and tanks as well. So, you know, they have to be innovative to survive in such a hostile region. Of course, Iran completely condemning this peace deal, again threatening uh, Israeli leaders, threatening the UAE. In fact, one of the Iranian leaders said that it will now join the Zionist fire that's going to burn. In other words, they're going to attack Israel and burn it, and now they're going to consider the UAE a friend that of Israel's that they have to attack as well. So a lot of hostility there, and Israel has to be on the cutting edge. For a number of years, there has been interest in what the Temple Institute has been involved in, endeavoring to try to come up with a red heifer which they would sacrifice to get the ashes of, put it in a stone pot full of water, pure water, running water, so they, they could sprinkle this ashened water on the priests that they may be consecrated so they would not have to worry about desecration when it comes to serving in the temple. I understand the Temple Institute is letting everybody know they have a couple of red heifers. What do you know? Well, I've seen those statements, and I know they've been working on that for some years. You're aware of that as well, and, of course, uh, making all the implements for the temple and uh, the garments for the priests, the incense perfume that's described in the, the book of Exodus, and on and on. So they are definitely moving in that direction. Of course, the problem is there is no temple, and we have this dispute going on. The Muslims are up there. That is the problem, that they have the implements, they have all the things, but not the site to build the temple yet. And as we've discussed, if they do get it, the Israelis, it will probably be as a result of another major war. This agreement with the UAE doesn't really prevent war because they've never been an active warrior against Israel. They've supported the other Arab countries, but not been active in that. So, um, you know, it's important, but it doesn't end the conflict. And until the Palestinians or the Muslims are somehow moved away from that site, uh, rebuilding the temple is going to be a very, very difficult project, and one that the Israelis at the moment are, for, for the most part, are not that engaged in because they're trying to get over COVID and they're trying to, you know, get over Iran, frankly. If you're listening to this conversation that I'm having with David Dolan and you have interest in the Red Heifer, you might want to go to my home page on my website, prophecytoday.com. There we have a video from the Temple Institute showing the two Red Heifers that have qualified to be sacrificed in that Numbers 19 sacrificial activity. That's on my homepage, prophecytoday.com. One final item for you, David. Sheikh Raid Salah. He's a radical Islamist living in the northern part of Israel, is warning that Israel has plans for Al-Aqsa. In other words, the Temple Mount. That's what we were talking about. 
but he's trying to incite the Palestinians against it. Well, indeed, there are the plans and there are the moves being made. It's just they're not official. This isn't the Israeli government doing these things. The Temple Institute is a private uh, group. But, um, you know, they are very worried about that. And again, the point of Islam, the bottom line is we have the final truth. We are the superior religion. We've superseded Christianity and Judaism. Well, that was proved to them by their capture of the holiest site on earth for the Jews and also the holiest city for Christians. So giving that up denounces their faith, they think. They're never going to willingly do that. The voice of David Dolan, the man who has covered the Middle East for over 30 years. He's a broadcast partner with us, so thrilled to have him along to give us the insight on his Middle East news update. David, thank you so very much. We'll talk again next week. You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Winky Madad and I will have a conversation, and we'll have a potpourri of items to discuss. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Our broadcast partners with their reports around the world that are helping us to understand how current events may well be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. We're going to Winky Madad. He's located, of course, in Shiloh, as you may well know. It's historic, it's biblical, and Winky, our broadcast partner that has such knowledge of history, of the events that are unfolding politically in Israel, and almost anything I ever want to ask him. We're going to go to him to talk about what took place on Thursday. History was made when Prime Minister Netanyahu, along with the President of the United States, Donald Trump, and joined by the President of the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, a group of seven different kingdoms, Arab kingdoms there on the Persian Gulf and bordered by Saudi Arabia, announced the normalization between the two countries, Israel and the UAE, I think one step away from signing a peace treaty. So I knew I had to go to Winky Madad to find out his thoughts on this particular event. Winky, give me your first blush thoughts as it relates to the agreement made by the United States, Israel, and the UAE. Well, Jimmy, let's make it clear that this has been, of course, one of the main diplomatic elements that Netanyahu has had, I think, since 2009, 
which is to take advantage of the split in the Islamic world between the threats coming from the Shiite Iran and its subservience, which, of course, are causing a lot of trouble in the Middle East, including Yemen and Lebanon and Saudi Arabia, offering Israel's, I think, alliance in terms of military assistance, but also to isolate, to a certain extent, the issue of the so-called problem of Palestine by taking away, through that first effort that I mentioned, the support that is lent to the Palestinians from many of the major Arab states and countries in the region. If Mr. Netanyahu can sort of ice break and split up the frozen sea of hatred that we have around us, they gain economically, commercially, and otherwise, and Israel gains on the diplomatic front. So this has always been one of his main planks, and it, the surprise, of course, is that it just popped up right now. But otherwise, it was well expected that it would eventually sometime it would happen. We think about several things, the pressure from President Trump on the prime minister, and the situation on his possibility of going to another election. What other ramifications might there be with this decision that was just made? Well, Jimmy, let me try to explain it this way. It might seem obvious that Mr. Trump was pressuring Mr. Netanyahu to provide some sort of diplomatic achievement that would help him in his own presidential campaign leading up to November. At the same time, Mr. Netanyahu realized over the past few months that without the Trump administration input and support, no sovereignty anyhow, anywhere, could have been extended to any of the territory in Judea and Samaria if Mr. Trump was not on board. And so with the results of the elections in which Netanyahu found himself bound up and tied and locked in with a blue and white party that was not exactly pro-sovereignty, if he ever wants sovereignty, uh, he's going to have to have Trump back in the White House. So for him, maybe, it was a quid pro quo. I give him this diplomatic achievement, and eventually, in another few months, eventually we'll come back. So maybe that was his thinking. On the other hand, we mentioned Trump's election. This way, I think, now, in my opinion, will be able to stave off any possible collapse of his government without the need now of going to elections, because everybody in the center, and even left the center, would say, well... If he's going to have peace, let's give him the possibility of doing so and not bring down his government. Very interesting thoughts from you, Winky, on this historic event that took place between Israel and the UAE and the normalization, possibly a peace treaty that will be signed in the near future. Other news items I want to deal with with you, Winky, if you can give us some thoughts, please, along these areas as well on these issues. For example... There's been a group of left-wing Jews who have joined with the Palestinians to blame Israel for the recent Beirut bombing. Now, talk to me about that. Is Israel involved in any way, shape, or form, do you think, in the Beirut bombing? To answer your question, I don't see any evidence, and I don't think Israel would be involved in any such of an act that could harm a civilian population on purpose. I know we've had operations in Lebanon where 
Hezbollah has hidden its mortars and rockets in homes, and while Israel has warned them to leave, it eventually had to do the strikes and cause civilian casualties, as it also did in Gaza, but not, how shall we say, up front without any concern. The obvious problem is that who was responsible for the storage of this ammonium nitrate, and was it in the same place that perhaps missiles or missile fuel was being stored, and was someone fooling around with it? Uh, I've read many reports, both here in Israel and abroad, that the way the explosions looked, something else was happening there. And it was probably the fault of Hezbollah. And I think it's unfortunate that left-wing Jews or anti-Zionist Jews uh, would join any sort of conspiracy theory or be so negative as to presume that Israel would be so cruel, uh, whereas for the opposite is the case. We're trying to provide relief and assistance for Lebanon, even though they don't want to accept it. Uh, but uh, that's part of the problem here in the Middle East. Another news story this week was that Jordan remind Israel uh, that uh, there is a Al-Aqsa in Jerusalem, which is referring to, of course, the Temple Mount, that is only for Muslim worship. I mean, that doesn't seem right. But anyway, that's the reminder they gave to the Israelis. What do you think about Jordan's move on this area? Well, that's a principled uh, position by Jordan. And uh, if I can relate it to the first item we discussed, if you read the statement made by uh, President Trump uh, and joined by Netanyahu and the Crown Prince of UAE, there is a two-liner in there saying the same thing. Uh, I would even say, Jimmy, even worse, because it says... In the other religious sites, besides Al-Aqsa, everybody of the faith can pray. So in other words, they're not even recognizing in the statement the fact that whether or not Jews can or should or would be allowed to pray there, Al-Aqsa is different than the Temple Mount and really doesn't belong to the Jews at all. That's something that's very disturbing, even more than Jordan's statement, which they make almost every three or four weeks. If this is being incorporated in the UAE political diplomatic uh, procedure, uh, I am not happy about that at all. Winky, on previous conversations, we talked about the possibility of Prime Minister Netanyahu going to another election, the fourth in less than a year and a half. However, I would think this announcement about the agreement between Israel and the UAE is going to shut that down. Am I pretty much on target? I would think so, Jimmy. I would agree with you because, and we've discussed this many times, elections here in Israel are uh, between the 10 to 15 percent of the so-called floating vote. We have the leftist camp, we have the right-wing camp, uh, and they don't really move that much. And if they do, it's usually within the bloc. In other words, um, say the Bennett uh, home, Jewish Home Party or Yamina uh, uh, on the right will gain from Netanyahu's loss. And on the left, it goes to the more extreme right, left-wing parties or even the Arab parties. So they're fighting for that 10 to 15 percent in the middle. That 10 to 15 percent would be very, very uh, encouraged, even excited, uh, without giving it too much thought about this possibility of peace, of 
commercial relationships, traveling to the UAE. We've seen films. Israelis have been to Abu Dhabi uh, in the past two or three years. Uh, they were very excited. They'd give Netanyahu their vote. I don't see any opposition party that would commit suicide by running up against Netanyahu now at this time. Winky Madad, the man who we turn to on many issues as it relates to Israel, the Middle East, and what's going on in that region of the world. And, of course, you can tell, having listened to this conversation, how brilliant he is on these issues. Winky, thank you so much. Appreciate it. A pulpery of events talked about today in my conversation. Appreciate it. We'll have another conversation, I'm absolutely sure, down the road. Jimmy, thank you very much for having me on, and goodbye to you and our listeners. Very interesting conversation with Winky Madad, a potpourri of items that he discussed with us and gave us some great insight. Well, we're going to switch to another region of the world that is so key in understanding the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. I'm talking about the European Union and our man there, John Rood. John, let's get right underway with our conversation. Let me make the statement that Israel seems to be taking the side of Greece in the maritime standoff with Turkey, a fight there in the Mediterranean and control of that area. Now the Jewish state joining with Greece. What do we know? Well, during these past uh, several weeks, we've seen tensions rise uh, greatly in the eastern Mediterranean. And Israel has expressed the need to show support, and they've come out on the side of Greece in their dispute with Turkey. So that has been an interesting development. Israel, of course, would like better relations with Turkey, but in this case, the case it's such a standoff, it requires a decision. Turkey right now has sent naval ships into the eastern Mediterranean, again, saying it's a research mission but they are interfering in the Greek space as well. Then Turkey has actually signed an agreement with Libya for control of this area of the Mediterranean Sea, and then likewise, Greece and Egypt have signed their own agreement. So this is going to be a standoff. Very interesting standoff. We'll stay on top of this story. It's key for the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. I understand that uh, the European Union is a bit concerned about the collapse of Lebanon. They're worried about it, and of course that's referring back to the unbelievable catastrophic explosion there in the port area of Beirut. What can you tell us on that story? The explosion has brought situation of great uh, change into Lebanon and we see that if Lebanon collapses, and here the, we have the situation, the comparison with Syria. And so Europe cannot afford to have another failed state on the Mediterranean. The prime minister, ex-prime minister actually of Lebanon, came out and said, I, I've said before that the system of corruption is deep, but I discovered that the system of corruption is bigger than the state. And so now Lebanon risks to go into chaos, and that would also initiate a probable rise in radical Islamic terrorism, especially Hezbollah, which has uh, headquartered for many, many years in Lebanon. And that's one thing the European Union does not want to happen. Well, there is a concern about 
Brexit and whether Great Britain is going to be able to actually get out clean. However, let me ask this question, John. What about the big four European economies? Would they vote to leave the EU, especially if Brexit does work out well? Well, all of Europe, as we denoted at the end of last year, that the possible story of this year would be what are the reactions of the other nations and what would be the forces that would bring them to decisions to also leave the European Union. So everyone is on the sidelines, but the Eurosceptic parties have been growing greatly. There's been a serious uh, poll in Europe that's showing that nearly half of Italians would support their country leaving the EU if it's proven to them, if it's evident that in five years' time the U.K. has successfully left the European Union. Well, the European uh, Union can see that Brexit, uh, the United Kingdom leaving, is working. So now it's running its way through the files here, and we see that Italy, 45% in favor of leaving the EU, based on the uh, impression that the U.K. Brexit is a success. France, 38, as we said, big four European economies. Spain, 37%, and Germany, 30%. And then, indeed, uh, just this week, we have the launching in Italy of the Ital Exit Party, which uh, is working to be a sort of parallel to the Brexit Party, which was also one of the forces that brought uh, Brexit to come to pass. So there's some unrest in these areas, many shades of Euroscepticism, and see how that comes together, but uh, many countries are not content. And what's so interesting about that, those 27 member states in the European Union, according to Daniel chapter 7, have to be reduced to 10 entities, whether that's nations or not. We'll have to determine if that's the case at a later time. John, thank you for this European Union update. It's essential that we have your report on a weekly basis. So appreciate it, buddy. My pleasure. Many tensions to monitor here in Europe and, and the Mediterranean. Well, we're going to an old friend now for a broadcast partner. Every other Wednesday, I am a broadcast partner with Stand in the Gap Today and Sam Rohr, who is the voice of that particular program, heard on almost 500 radio stations across the United States. Sam is a former state senator in Pennsylvania. He preaches the Word of God. Boy, he's got it all together. And Sam, I thought that uh, I had to go to you immediately after I heard that Joe Biden had picked Senator Harris for his vice president. What's your first thoughts on that? <laughs> well, um, I would say, Jimmy, that it was a Joe Biden pick, if that makes sense. I think it surprised everybody uh, to some degree. I will tell you, I actually, I actually thought that it would be a Michelle Obama. And, uh, and I, I don't know that she's totally out of the picture, but we'll just wait. But for now, the pick is Kamala Harris. And I think it's interesting that from what I am seeing and understanding, I don't think she has a majority support of even in the black community. And I think to some degree, the black community does not view her as being all that black since her mother is Indian and her father is Jamaican. It's a little bit of a stretch for some. And uh, you've got a number of the conservative blacks that are speaking out and they're saying, you know what? She doesn't really qualify. So I, 
that that was my first response. But she is not a heavyweight, although she is a scary individual from the standpoint of her policies. Well, you brought up the fact her father a Jamaican, her mother an Indian from India. I read a report just today that, in fact, neither one of her parents were U.S. citizens when she was born. Does that make her not a citizen, a natural citizen of the United States, and thus not qualified to be either vice president or president? Well, if those two things are true, I see one of two things happening. (laughs) One, if it's true and provable, all right, then she's got a problem. But remember, we had a president, the last one around, had the same kind of problems, and it didn't seem to bother the press or most other people on that side uh, of the left-leaning side either. So we, we've already been kind of down the road that a little bit, but I think, Jimmy, I think there's a lot of fundamental problems, and those kind of things are part of it. Biden picked her because she's a woman. He has said that, and, and black. Well, is she black enough? I don't think for many. And about as a woman, well, I don't know what I'm saying. Many of the women say, you know what, she wasn't the pick during the Democrat uh, Party primary. Matter, matter of fact, she dropped out. So it's it's not like Biden is picking a winner. He's picking actually a loser from the standpoint of the primary. And uh, I'm not so sure when you get right down to it that people are going to say just exactly what are we getting when we uh, if they elect her. You know, Sam, you have been a political leader for almost 20 years in the state Senate there in Pennsylvania. And so I want to ask you a pretty direct question. Should political leaders be chosen on the basis of their gender and or color of their skin, are qualifications to hold the office. Well, you know that as well as I did. You ran for office at one point in your life, Jimmy, and we are both very concerned about who we elect, and I think all Christians really ought to be. But you know, the color of one's skin, the amount of money that they may have or they may not have, what side of the tracks they grew up on, or however one would put it, really have very little, next to nothing. It ought to be about character. It ought to be about, can you believe them? Uh, it ought to be about, what is their view on the Constitution? Let's face it, they are to take an oath to the support the Constitution. Well, what do they think of the Constitution? What are their policies and their positions? Uh, do they support positions that favor what the Constitution says, or are they complete uh, opposite? Um, there are, do they have a fear of a God? Uh, that that's a great one. Is there any fear of God at all? Because if they have no fear of God, then their oath to support the Constitution, which is a requirement, really doesn't mean anything. So all of those things are what come up to me, and it seems in this case in particular that those factors, I haven't seen one of them having, coming, having come up as uh, one evidence of the criteria that Joe Biden chose when he uh, picked her. Actually, Sam, I've been thinking about something. When we go to that voting booth on November the 3rd this year to elect a president and or a vice president, are we not doing that in two people instead of one person? In other words, if somebody votes for Biden, he's probably not going to even stay in office for four years, and he's already said he's not going to run for a second term. So therefore... Are we not voting on a president and his vice president who would then become president, voting for two presidents at one time? I think that is a brilliant, brilliant question to ask. No one 
logically. Now, when I say that, I know that logic has an element of truth based into it. So if someone doesn't believe in truth, logic doesn't mean anything either. But for someone who believes in truth and has a logical position, the answer would be, no, you can't be just voting for Joe Biden. And I think that that's very, very clear, not just on his age at 76. That's an amazing thing. And and we know, not a political thing, but but Joe is losing a lot of the comprehension. So no, no one expects him to go through four years. So you really are saying, right, who am I logically linking arms with? It would have to be Kamala Harris. And therefore, if she stays in that position, then you really got to start asking about what does she believe? Where is her, where have her positions been? And frankly, when I go down that road as a constitutionalist, as a Christian, I'm saying it's the exact opposite direction that I would even want to consider for a moment. You know, when I go into that voting booth, I'm thinking about a number of issues that I want to deal with as I elect a president of the United States. For example, where do they stand on abortion? Where do they stand on homosexuality, on the nation of Israel? And then after those three, everything else I take into consideration— Should not a Christian vote with that type of a principled approach to electing someone, Sam? And, Jimmy, absolutely a person ought to do that. You know, as Christians and as an American citizen, we are to to use our minds. We are to use our hearts. We are to ask questions, knowing that every decision brings with it consequences. And certainly laws is a decision. Public policies... Are decisions, and it makes all the difference in the world. Decisions that are made by a president and by those that they put around them, whether or not we uh, end up um, looking more free or we looking more in bondage as a totalitarian country. And as we're sitting here today talking, uh, we see lawlessness on the streets of America. But I'm saying that lawlessness on the streets has been encouraged by lawlessness coming from, at this point, primarily the Democrat Party leadership, but not limited expressly to that. There are many in government, Democrat and Republican, but the Democrat Party as a whole is completely embracing uh, the, the, um, the Communist Manifesto in every one of their parts. They did that years ago, anti-God, uh, anti-Jesus Christ, anti-Israel, anti-Constitution in every regard. So, Therefore, what are the consequences if those kind of choices are made? And what it means is more division, more lawlessness, more lack of freedom. So if any person cannot put those things together, uh, Jimmy, they're not even really qualified to vote uh, from that perspective. Uh, So, yes, we need to consider. And I think in this case, it's not like uh, she would be a candidate who has no history. She is a candidate with a lot of history. Sam, let me be very practical with you just a moment. You've run for office a number of times. You know how to encourage people to vote for you, and I'm sure the Christian community must have been your foundation to be an elected officer of the Pennsylvania Senate there in that state. How would you suggest Christians prepare to make this choice? Well, the same kind of way that they ought to make a they make a preparation, Jimmy, for any vote. I mean, this election coming up this fall is a big election. We've had big elections before. 
But for a Christian, if a Christian is not in the Word of God, if a Christian is not looking at the signs of the time as Christ gave to the disciples, looking towards the end days, if we're not looking at life, at living, at the world, at events, through the lens of Scripture, we are going to be as deceived as the people Jesus said would mark the majority of people alive on the earth at his second, at his second coming. And I believe that we are seeing that deception. The only antidote for deception is the truth of God's Word. And, and only truth, and, and truth has to be discerned by the Holy Spirit. So for a believer listening to here, it's not possible that we can expect to understand what's going on and not be deceived unless we are walking obediently with Jesus Christ, living obediently to the Word of God, and, try, and putting Him first in our minds and our thinking. If we don't do that, Jimmy, our vote may not be a whole lot different than, than the world's vote, uh, because it's that critical. That's the voice of Sam Rohr, a former political leader in our nation. Also, he is a preacher of the gospel and now a talk show host on the national program Stand in the Gap today. Sam, thank you so very much for giving us a moment or two to think through some thoughts that I think are key for the body politic of the United States of America. Appreciate it so much. We'll see you on the radio this next Wednesday. Great to be with you. Very thought-provoking conversation with Sam Rohr. Well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, one more broadcast partner all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central. Welcome back to Prophecy Today, our last half hour. And if you've given us this 90 minutes, I'm sure you're aware of how current events are actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. At the end of this half hour, I'll give you my look at the book. I want to remind you, David James is standing by. We'll have a conversation in a moment. Love for you to respond to my poll question. It's located on my home page of my website, prophecytoday.com. Go there and scroll down on the left-hand column. You'll find the question. Here it is. Do you believe that the new peace agreement between Israel and the United Arab Emirates is setting the stage for the Antichrist to confirm, not sign, but confirm the peace treaties on the table as foretold in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. That's the poll question. Please answer it. It looks like the stage again is being set by this new peace agreement for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Let me also remind you about my prophecy moment. You can see that on my YouTube channel, that address, youtube.com forward slash prophecy today. On my prophecy moment, I speak to the issues that are happening in the world and their prophetic significance. We now bring to this microphone David James. David and I have a weekly conversation looking at issues that is a opportunity for Christians to have a biblical understanding of so that their walk with the Lord will be exactly what he would have them to do and how to walk. I'm so glad you could join us for this conversation. 
And this week, David and I received an email from a U.S. soldier who was stationed in the Middle East. By the way, this little side note, it said that he heard me speak at his church, Friendship Baptist in New York, some 10 or 15 years ago. We weren't sure how long ago it was, but I was thrilled that we got this email. Had some questions, David, about the current state of the world and the end times. Get into that with us, will you? Sure. Well, first, I, I want to thank this listener for his service to our country, and we're deeply grateful to our men and women in uniform serving in the United States and around the world, that's for sure. In his email, he wrote, as you mentioned, I remember you came to my church to speak about 10 years ago. I'm currently in the Air Force in Qatar and under quarantine, and I've learned a lot about the Middle East and the culture. And then his question is this, how much worse do you think the world will get before the end times? I know it's all on God's schedule. I just feel that something big is about to happen. So, Jimmy, with everything that's happening in the world, I'm sure it's something that's on the minds of a lot of people. We know from Scripture that the rapture could happen at any moment. And then the sequence of end times events will begin shortly after that with the rise of the Antichrist and the revived Roman Empire. We know something big is going to happen. We just don't know when, but we do know we're one day closer than we were yesterday. And another thing we need to understand is that things could get a lot worse before the rapture. I, I think the impression left by some prophecy teachers over the last few decades is that the church will be raptured before things get too bad, but that's not necessarily true. Christians will be preserved from the wrath of God, but Christians all over the world from the first century until now have experienced the atrocities that can be committed by both man and Satan. Well, that is absolutely true, and I would suggest that the coronavirus pandemic is not the one Jesus was talking about there in Matthew 24, 7, when he mentioned pestilence. But it indeed is a precursor. Times are going to get worse. Man, I'm excited about getting that email from that soldier out there in the Middle East. David, last week you and I dealt with the question of whether or not churches should follow the governmental mandates concerning not holding worship services and we received some very interesting emails from listeners who expressed concerns about some of the things that we said. So I decided we had better continue that discussion this week. Well, occasionally we have a discussion that does generate quite a bit of feedback from our listeners, and that seemed to happen this week. And this time, though, for some reason, there seemed to be some confusion or maybe a misunderstanding of what we were saying. One listener wrote, I so enjoy and appreciate these weekly world news updates. But then he said, I'm somewhat concerned about what I think David James had to say about whether the church should stand against the government when the government orders the church churches cannot hold services. Did I understand correctly that he believes churches should obey the government's rule and cancel services? If so, isn't that contrary to God's Word in Acts 5.29, which, as we discussed last week, Jimmy, is about obeying God rather than men? And then he went on to say this, had our forefathers not fought when they did, would we even have the right to worship the way and as often as we do? 
Had the Germans fought in the beginning when Hitler started tightening everything like he did, perhaps there would not have been a Holocaust. I'm not trying to be argumentative or confrontational. I'm sincerely concerned that that kind of thinking can be an invitation for future tighter government restrictions. I would appreciate your perspective. Well, that's very interesting, David, and we do appreciate any and all feedback. But as I recall, we did not really take a side one way or the other. So that's why we wanted to clear up any misunderstandings there may have been. David, can you continue to help us do that? Sure. Well, I went over last week's discussion after we got these emails, and I did that again to see if maybe we weren't as clear as we could have been, because there were some who thought that we were simply arguing against John MacArthur and those who think that churches should defy government mandates. Honestly, I thought we were being fair and balanced in presenting both sides, but since we presented the other side second, maybe it gave the impression to some that we were taking a strong stand against the first view, MacArthur's view that churches should close. And actually, one listener took us to task for being timid and actually said we wimped out because we didn't strongly state that churches should be willing to take a stand and continue to meet. And honestly, Jimmy, I don't mind being challenged at all, but I was a bit surprised because I think that anyone who's listened to this segment for very long, they they would know that we deal with some of the most controversial issues head on. But anyway, it doesn't hurt to go over it again, so there's no misunderstanding. And we can also get into maybe a few things we just didn't have time for last week. And I want to emphasize again that there are good and godly people on both sides of the issue, and I think there's a solid biblical case to be made for both sides. Okay, David, let's get back into this again, and as you said, maybe go a little bit deeper into both sides. I would suggest we start with the argument that we have both a biblical basis and a constitutional right to defy human government the government of the United States, and the mandates that they may issue that would prevent us from gathering for worship. Well, let's think about the constitutional part first. Uh, Since in this country, we the people are the government. The First Amendment states this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So, Jimmy, two things come into play here. The government can't prohibit the free exercise of religion, nor can it abridge the right to peaceably assemble. And then the two biblical passages that we mentioned last week were, Acts 5.29 and Hebrews 10.25. Acts 5.29 is talking about obeying God rather than men, and Hebrews 10.25 admonishes believers not to forsake the assembling together of one another, and this would have been in the midst of Nero's persecution of Christians in the 60s of the first century. And another example came to my mind, and that would be when Daniel and uh, his friends refused the king's meat because it had been offered to idols. And then when his friends refused to bow to the image of Nebuchadnezzar, they were thrown into that furnace, and uh, they survived by God's grace. And then later, under Darius, Daniel refused to stop praying to the God of Israel. So he stood against the government mandate. And so taken together with a constitutional issue, I think a fairly strong case can be made for believers to see these government mandates as being an overall 
reach that can be legitimately defied. And so I want to be clear on that and not be misunderstood as taking a timid approach on this one way or the other. David, then you said to be fair and balanced with this, I think we need to look at the other side of the argument. There do seem to be solid biblical reasons to submit to these governmental mandates. Right. I think a strong, a fairly strong biblical case can be made for both sides, and it's not nearly as black and white as some people who are taking a hard stand at maybe the more extreme ends of the spectrum might try to make it sound. So first, we mentioned last week that there are several passages that talk about submitting to government authorities. For example, Romans 13, where Paul writes, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. And then in Hebrews 13, just three chapters after talking about continuing to assemble, there the author writes, obey those who rule over you and be submissive. And again, uh, this was under Nero's reign of terror in the 60s of the first century. And another passage that we didn't bring up is 1 Peter chapter 2, where Peter writes, therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or to governors or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. And then Peter goes on to say, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And we need to keep in mind that Peter wrote this when Nero was emperor, and of course about ten years after Paul wrote to the church in Rome, he was in a Roman dungeon and executed as an enemy of the empire for his ministry. David, uh, would you take a moment and uh, give us some real practical things that churches and individual believers need to keep in mind as we all try to work our way through this uncharted waters? Well, as I said last week, Jimmy, I think we need to believe the best about one another and stay away from judging motives or even the spirituality of those who choose to handle this differently than we do. And, And I would extend this to wearing face masks, and and a lot of other things as well. I do think a lot of this is about control from the side of the government, and there are those on both sides of the aisle who are exploiting this pandemic for their own political purposes. That's not good. And I also think that in some cases they may actually be targeting churches, even though I think a good case can be made for that churches to be essential services, as President Trump said in in May, and we do have constitutional protections. On the other hand, concerning obeying God rather than men, in context in Acts 5, that was about preaching the gospel specifically, and the government isn't forbidding or limiting that, as far as I know, in any place. And concerning assembling together, at the time some Christians in Rome were forced to meet in the catacombs of Rome and secretly in small house groups. It wasn't about having large worship services with hundreds or even thousands in attendance. So I think when we take all of this together, as we said last week, uh, we need to give other believers some room to come to different conclusions than we do, and other churches to handle this as they see fit based on the situation in their area and how the congregation and the leadership of the church sees it. And Jimmy, we continue to be in an evolving situation and I think each of us on both sides may think about this differently even in a few months from now. I do believe we ought to consider Matthew chapter 18, I think it's verse 20, where it says, two or three gathered together and the Lord 
will be in the midst. So you don't need to have 3,000 to be able to serve the Lord and gather together. And interestingly, this morning in my quiet time, I was reading 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, where we are exhorted to pray for those in higher authority, our political leaders today, so that we can live a quiet, peaceable, godly life and win people to Jesus Christ. Those thoughts that David and I have about this ongoing discussion as to whether the churches should submit to government dictation. David, thank you so much for your research. Thank you for your input. Appreciate it. We'll look at another issue to deal with from a biblical perspective next week. Thanks a lot, Jimmy. Great to be with you again. Great discussion with David James today. We're going to have to take a quick break. And on the other side, I'll open the Bible. We'll take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. I had my six broadcast partners from around the world give us the details behind the news headlines. This is information that mainstream media is not giving you. These reports helping us to see how current events are actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. If you had to miss any of the reports, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com. You'll see Prophecy Today Radio Network, where I have archived these reports for you. And in addition to you listening to them, will you please tell a friend or a family member 
about these reports and why they should listen to them. That address, once again, prophecytoday.com, on the right-hand column of the home page, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, where we have archived all of my reports from the broadcast partners today. Right now, though, I would like to give you my prophetic perspective on these news reports from the broadcast partners. Ken Timmerman announcing the release of his brand new book. This is a must-read book. It's a novel entitled Election Heist, and it's talking about the potential for corruption in the presidential election. But after that, Ken and I talked about military experts in China urging Beijing to prepare for a war with America. Let me remind you that a China-USA war is not mentioned in Bible prophecy. However, remember that the United States of America is not mentioned in Bible prophecy either. But China is mentioned. They are referred to as the kings of the east, Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12, and they will be the major players at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. David Dolan gave us his Middle East news update. He talked about the Palestinians coming out against the Israeli-United Arab Emirates peace agreement that was announced earlier this week. They believe that this peace accord has stabbed them in the back. It's referred to as the Abraham Accord, Howbeit, that probably is a misnomer. The Palestinians believe that indeed this decision was made against the Palestinian people. You must remember that the UAE will be a part of the alignment of nations, Psalm 83, that will come against the Jewish state of Israel in the first six months of the tribulation period. That Islamic alignment will be destroyed at the beginning of the tribulation, the first six months, as foretold in Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 18, through chapter 39 and verse 6. When you look and study about the Palestinian people, you see that they will continue on through the tribulation period and ultimately be destroyed at the time after the return of Jesus Christ. That's Obadiah verses 15 to 18. Winky Madad and I had a conversation insight into the Israeli-UAE Accord. Now, this is another peace agreement. Remember the Camp David Accord in 1979? That accord would be between Israel and Egypt. The Oslo Accord, an agreement signed in 1993 between Israel and the Palestinian people, and the Israeli-Jordanian peace agreement in 1994. Now, with the UAE peace accord on the table, all on the table to be confirmed according to Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. The Antichrist comes, confirms those peace treaty. He doesn't sign a peace treaty. He confirms the ones on the table And now that stage is even better set for that prophecy to be fulfilled. 
John Rood is the man who covers the European Union for us. He talked about the big four economies in Europe who may pull out of the European Union if Brexit, the pullout of Great Britain from the EU, all goes well. Well, there are 27 member states in the EU today, and Daniel chapter 7 calls for 10 states or nations or regions, and that will be the fulfillment of that prophecy, the European Union moving in that direction. Sam Rohr, a longtime politician and the voice of Stand in the Gap Today radio broadcast, talked with me about a vote for Joe Biden which would actually be a vote for the next two presidents. Remember, God brought human government into place, Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6, to direct political leaders to make decisions to fulfill Bible prophecy, but at the same time to fulfill the will of God, Revelation chapter 17 and verse 17. And then David James and I continued our discussion from last week on whether churches should obey government and curtail their worship services or defy the government's dictates. Just want to remind you, Matthew chapter 18, verse 20 says that where two or three, not 3,000, two or three are gathered together, Jesus is there. Actually, we can obey the Bible and human government at the same time. Please go to my website, prophecytoday.com. You'll see Prophecy Today Radio Network on the right-hand column on the home page, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. I would have to say that each of these reports from my broadcast partners help us to see how current events are actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. You know, the next event in God's calendar of activities is going to be the rapture of the church. And then the discussions that we had with my broadcast partners, actually events that will take place after the rapture and during the seven-year tribulation period. By studying those prophecies yet to be fulfilled after the rapture helps us to understand the urgency of the moment. And that moment would be, of course, the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church could actually take place today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.